it's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Good morning, Elevate Church. So yes, week three of a series we launched called King of Hearts, and we're taking a pretty deep dive into the life and leadership of a young man, or at least we picked up the story when he was a young man, who ultimately went on to become the second king of Israel, a guy named David. And uh, whilst it's a, we are taking a, a, a walk through the timeline of David's life and leadership, this is more than a history lesson. Really, we're looking at his life to learn things that can be applied to our lives. Because David was paid what I think has to be the biggest compliment from God that anyone's ever received. God described David as a man after God's own heart. And I'm like, man, that is an aspirational goal for God to be able to say that about us, that you, that I, that we've lived our lives not perfectly, because David surely didn't, with our number one priority to, to pursue the heart of God and have Him working in us and through us. So in the first week, we talked about the heart God favours. We live in a culture that is very, very focused on the externals. If you don't believe me, just I dare you to watch an episode of Love Island UK and you will quickly discover, no, I, I don't, not only do I not dare you, I strongly recommend you don't watch an episode of Love Island UK. But if you happen to uh, hand the remote control over when it's time for you to go to Betty Buys and someone in your household changes the channel, you'll get a glimpse that, yeah, some people think that the externals are more important. God, however, is more focused on our internal world. He, in fact, recognises and teaches us that life is actually lived inside out, that what's going on under the hood will impact every aspect of our lives, good or bad, depending on the condition of our hearts. And so it's incredibly important for us to prioritise developing our inner world, which is often described as our heart. Now, last week, we talked about the worshipful heart, that David was actually uh, identified and anointed as the next king of Israel when he was still in his late teens, but he didn't get the gig straight away. He had to spend years in between being identified and actually appointed. And this time... It's the gap. It's the waiting room. It's the bit that many of us struggle with. And yet it's not meant to be passive. We, we, we need to understand that God's working while we're waiting and that there's things that we can be getting about while we're waiting and preparing ourselves for when the appointment actually comes, when the promise actually gets delivered matters. Now, if you missed either of those first two weeks, I mean, we're walking through the timeline. So it's like you're picking up the, the, bit, the book here at chapter three. If you missed either of the first two chapters, this isn't going to make as much sense. So I encourage you to go uh, to our podcast. We're on all of the major podcast platforms, Apple, Google, uh, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Overcast, 
and the list goes on. Tune in, iHeartRadio, you name it, we're there. Just search Elevate Church Perth and we'll be there. Turn your smartphone into a microphone, I like to say. This week, I want to talk about the courageous heart. See, last week I made the point that one of the things we all experience in life is waiting. Another thing we all experience in life at various points is fear. It's something every single one of us will bump up against. Different things will trigger fear. We'll experience fear to different extents. However, it's inescapable that at some point we're going to encounter or have fear rise up in us. But get this, Robert Leahy wrote a book called The Worry Cure. And he cites in that book that approximately, that cites studies, I should say, cites studies that approximately 85% of the things we fear and worry about never actually happen, 85%. And those same studies identify that of the 15% of things that do happen, 79% of the respondents were surprised to learn that they were far more prepared to tackle the thing that ultimately happened than they expected or at a minimum, learned a valuable life lesson having encountered the thing that they were initially worried about. So the big conclusion is that we, if, we are, if we're not careful, we give fear way too much space in our hearts. We give fear way too much real estate in our hearts. And it's not a new phenomenon. It's not a 2022 It's just started to happen. Phenomenon. In fact, read through the entire Bible. You'll see God instruct various people at various times with a very simple, like, I'm just going to make it simple, statement, don't fear. 63 times. And don't be controlled by fear over 300 times. He would, often, he would often get the, the, the reflex of pushback to somebody that he's asked to do something. He noted their first response was, oh dear. <laughs> and, and he would say, no, no, don't fear. One of the most famous things written in the new part of the Bible, in one of the letters, is written from Paul, one of the sort of mentors of the early church, to one of his mentees, a guy named Timothy. Now, Timothy led a church in a place called Ephesus. But Timothy was in probably just around his early 20s. And so a good percentage of the people in his church that he led were older than him. And in that culture, people that are older than you are considered you know, to be respected and honoured and they know more and they've got more life experience, which you know, in many cases is true. But Paul identified that Timothy was kind of like shrinking back a bit in his leadership because of the expectations that other people were putting on him. And so he wrote a very simple instruction. Well, simple to, to write, not always as simple to live out. Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And so whenever you're coming up against a circumstance that you don't think you're qualified for, you don't think you're capable of, the thought of it, the, 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 the very nation, notion of it circling in the waters around you strikes up fear. Understand, Timothy had that going on for him in his own context. 
And Paul's instruction to Timothy applies to you and me in those same situations. Understand the, 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 the situation's real. The circumstances are what they are. We're not in denial of it, but understand that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear and timidity. That shouldn't be a leading response, but instead lean into and take hold of power, love, and self-discipline. Well, David, coming back to him, gives us a working example of the triumph of courage over fear. And no, there are no prizes for guessing what I'm about to focus on in the timeline of David's life. Yes, one of the most famous battles, uh, not just in the Bible, technically it's re really probably one of the most famous battles in history. In fact, it's so famous that, that the, the, the name of the battle or the, the, the kind of the, the headline has made its way into our everyday language. Whenever we see somebody that's kind of an underdog up against somebody that we assume is going to be the victor, we say it's a David and Goliath situation. Fremantle. I don't follow the AFL, but I was about to make an AFL comment. I'm not qualified. I'll move on. David versus Goliath. Well, here, this showdown that we ultimately get to learn from takes place uh, in a valley called Elah Valley. And on the either side of the valley were, were hilltops. And on one hilltop was King Saul and the Israel army. And on the opposite side of the valley, on that hilltop was the Philistine army. Now, one of the, the, the most noted soldier among the Philistine army was a guy named Goliath, who's recorded as being approximately nine feet or nearly three meters tall, and not like skinny like lampposts, but like, like jacked and tall, okay? Every morning, Goliath, and every evening, Goliath would step forward at the front of the Philistine army and yell across the valley to the Israelites, taunting them, who among you would dare come out and fight me? Now, Understand it's a bit of inside baseball. They were doing what's called representative battle. This wasn't Braveheart, William Wallace, where everyone just charges in and everyone just charges in and everyone on one side gets killed and most of the others get killed, but there's a few survivors and they declare them, the three left declare themselves victors. Very uneconomical way of doing warfare. This situation, by contrast, is what's called representative warfare, where each army would choose one warrior to go in and fight in the valley, the representative from the other army. And whoever of those two would win, their nation would take over everything about the other nation, would take over their land, their possessions, and ultimately would make them slaves. So that's what was at stake here, okay? If the Philistines won, the Israelites would, would have to give everything over and become their slaves and vice versa. So Goliath was taunting them. Who would dare fight me? And, and his taunting was remarkably effective. So much so that in Samuel it's recorded that on hearing the Philistines' words, King Saul and all the Israelite army were dismayed and terrified. Goliath hadn't done anything yet except yell at them. And it had paralyzed them into inaction and fear. Well, on day 40, because this taunting went on for 40 days, on day 40, enter 
this scene, a young man named David. And upon entering the battle scene, the entire game soon changed. So it wasn't just King Saul on the hilltop. It was his army, which included three of David's older brothers. Now, David hadn't gone to to battle. He was considered too young. So he stayed home with his dad, Jesse, doing his job, just tending the family sheep. Now, he'd already been anointed as the next king of Israel, not yet appointed. So he just went back to his Clark Kent job, looking after the sheep. Jesse, being a good dad, one day summoned David and said, I want you to take a care package to your brothers to both demonstrate to them that dad loves them, cares for them, is thinking about them. And then I want you to bring back a report because I, I want to know how they're going. You can't, you can't just text them back in those days. And so David was given by his dad uh, some bread and some cheese to take to the Elah Valley for his brothers and some of their colleagues. Prior to David arriving on the battle lines, Saul had started to offer incentives to his soldiers that that if just one of them would take on Goliath, that he would be promised, oh, you'd have to win for this to come about. He He was promising them endless fame and fortune. And for 40 days, despite upping the incentives, nobody, and by the way, I, 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 I'm not even gonna say nobody volunteered because they weren't volunteers, they were paid soldiers, but nobody was willing to do their job. They were so fearful of Goliath. And on day 40, the anointed successor to King Saul was sent by his dad to become ultimately history's first ever recorded Uber Eats delivery driver. (laughs) And let's face it, okay, he's the next king. He could have said to his dad, I don't do food delivery. Fetch me the crown and fetch me the chariot. This task you're asking of me is beneath me. Well, here's what David actually did. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. Even kings know this. Faithfulness in the little things matters. How you handle small assignments is a clue to whether you will ultimately do well handling larger assignments. In fact, let me say, if if that doesn't convince you that this matters, how you handle small assignments is a clue to whether you'll ever even be entrusted with larger assignments. Now, you don't believe me? Let me tell you how Jesus framed it. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest, lazy, doing the least they can get away with, with very little, will also be dishonest with much. It's about the spirit that we bring to the things that we're called to do. And it applies to all 
areas of life and leadership. <coughs> Not COVID. And there's two, pro, there's two mistakes that people make when they're asked to do small things, in my observation, too often. Number one, they, they don't bring their best because they assume it's just a small thing. It probably doesn't matter. No one's watching. I'm not going to get a medal. There's not going to be a ceremony. Probably not worth posting on my social media accounts. And we all know if you don't post it to socials, it obviously didn't happen. And just like, yeah, I'll do it, but <laughs> I'm not going to do it well. Or people hold back. They know they can do better, but they do this. Uh, when I get given more responsibility, then I'm going to bring my best. And I can tell you as a leader, <laughs> if I know you're not bringing your best in the little things, you ain't going to be giving more responsibility because what we are doing is far too important for you or anybody to bring a half-hearted approach to what you're doing. In fact, we say it as a church, our code is we always bring our best. And not just in the context of church, this is as representatives of Jesus Christ, charged with the responsibility and the opportunity to, to be the salt and the light into our world. We, my gosh, why wouldn't we bring our best? It's incumbent upon us to always bring our best. Now, notice we don't use the word perfection here but just our best. And by the way, your best, it's actually a moving target because situations and seasons and circumstances mean that you might not have the same bandwidth to be able to bring to the exact same task every single time. But, but the question isn't, did, are you doing as good as you did last time? The question is, are you applying yourself with your best like you did last time? That's the question that I think God asks. And so we noticed David, he, he got up early. This is a teenager, people. He defied genetic prerequisites as a teenage boy and got up early. Secondly, he didn't shirk his responsibility for looking after the sheep. He made sure he found somebody to take care of things while he was away. Not my problem. Win some, you lose some, stupid sheep anyway. Smelly. And thirdly, he did exactly as, he da as his dad asks. Oh, what does dad know? He's over 40, he's nearly dead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You 20-somethings are giggling nervously because you've had those same thoughts. I can't believe Mark Pomery's still breathing. Yeah, all right, all right. All right, keep your thoughts to yourself. But get this, David's faithfulness with the lunch delivery is the very thing that positioned him to take on Goliath. If he'd said no to his dad, he wouldn't have made these pages. I mean, God would have probably found someone else, but it wouldn't have been David. But David's faithfulness in the small things, the food delivery, positioned him to take on Goliath. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, we, we, we brought this to your attention. The Bible app, the great developers of the Great Bible app have added a My Church feature to it. So if you haven't already, love you to join in this. Just uh, pop open your smartphone camera, point it at this QR code. Now, you do have to have the Bible app installed and signed in. Sorry that 
I probably don't need to say that, but maybe I do. Um, and then it'll take you to Elevate Church and you make this your church. And one, one of the benefits of that, and we've taken advantage of this now, is, is we can put in a featured plan into our section of the Bible app and you all can access that. And so throughout this uh, series on David, which is going to go for... Jared, you know I dare not say how many weeks. A few more weeks, because uh, he'll call me out in, in a few weeks' time. Uh, we're going to drop a new plan every Monday. So we've, we've so, so far, we've dropped two plans in, and they're going to focus on not just on David, but on the very thing that we've been teaching on the Sunday. So tomorrow's plan is going to be featured around David versus Goliath. Duh. So do that. Now, speaking of which, and because you all who were here last week asked so nicely, let me also introduce you to our new flow code. So you can open, zoom, and scan the flow code, and it will take you automatically to 1 Samuel chapter 17 in the New Living Translation, which I'm about to teach from. Ha-ha, there you go. So, Kaylee and Tara, your cynicism was noted and not appreciated, but I came through anyway because I'm a positive guy. I rise above that sort of rubbish. <laughs> I'll remind you later on. We'll have a coaching conversation. <laughs> now, this day, day 41, Goliath stepped forward to do what he'd been doing every morning for the previous 40 days. The same taunting that King Saul and the Israel army caused to be dismayed and terrified. But only this time there was a new audience member, a man named David. And David's response was not to be dismayed and terrified. No, this was David's response. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? No, David wasn't afraid. David was furious. And here's the thing. We all have something in common with the Israelites. We all have something in common with David. And that is that we will face giants in our life. We've probably faced them before. We're going to face them again. It's probably not just going to be one more for the road. There's probably going to be a few. It's a question of what and when, not a question of if. And here's the thing that it's vital to remember when we face our next giant, and that is to remember our past victories. Yeah. See, the God that we serve isn't just the God that helped David, not just the guy that helped Moses. He's the same God that helped you yeah, yeah, yeah. get through your last battle yeah, yeah, yeah. and come out victorious. And you're like, I'm not victorious. You're still here. And it's easy to get caught up and overwhelmed and yeah, allow fear to take up the majority of the real estate and forget that God actually wants to take up that real estate and fill our hearts with courage, which will displace fear. That we only see the giants in front of us that are nine feet tall and we forget to have an occasional glance in the rearview mirror to see the trail of giants who are lying decapitated on the road of life behind us. And so David, he approached King Saul and volunteered to fight. Now, I mentioned Goliath recorded as being nine feet, three meters tall. David's recorded as being less than five feet or 1.5 meters tall. I've been trying to like visualize this for you. This is the best I could do. It would have looked something like Shaq and Olympic gold medal gymnast Simone Biles. And no, this has not been photoshopped. 
So when, when you have this Goliath-ish Shaquille O'Neal deal, and you know, yeah, she's got heels on. And by the way, David probably wasn't even as jacked as she is. It's, you're not going to be surprised to learn this was King Saul's response. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. Saul knew David. David had previously, we talked about this last week, been brought into the court of the king to play worship music for Saul. So now David comes in in a different context, food delivery, but then volunteers. Remember, he's the actual one who is volunteering because he's not a paid member of the army. And Saul's like, you're the, you're the musician guy. Uh, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine or possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. Here's the thing. Don't take the first no as the answer and the final answer when you're going into battle. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. And when a lion or a bear comes out to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it. Not I run away. I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, no, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. Have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. I'm remembering my past victories, for he has defiled the, the armies of the living God, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistines. Now, at this point, that's just talk, okay? And I, look, the Bible doesn't specifically say this, but I'm pretty confident that nobody in the Israel army or the Philistine army at that point were reaching for their smartphone opening up their sports betting app and throwing down some money on David. I'm just, look, I know the Bible's not clear about that, but that's my hunch. Okay, David was not the favourite in this particular moment. But but again, the reason that they wouldn't have is because just like Saul, people look at the externals and make definitive conclusions, whereas God looks at the heart and he knows best. Now, I talked about the contrasting height and stature of, of, of uh, Goliath and David. Uh, what's intriguing to me is that the most qualified physically, if, if the externals matter, and the most qualified based on history of warfare was King Saul. He's described as standing head and shoulders above the rest. The better, the better kind of comparison is this. It's Shaq and Charles Barkley. I mean, okay, sure, he's only up to his nostrils, but come on now. That's a much, I mean, Simone Biles wasn't even up to his waistband. So, you know, this is, now, we're, now we're getting somewhere. Now it seems like it's a more fair fight. But, but Saul didn't, didn't step forward to take on Goliath. David did. And, and this isn't the, the, the contrast of Saul's external versus David's external. It's actually the contrast of Saul's internal world and the direction his momentum was heading in, in contrast with David's inner world and the momentum his heart and faith was heading in. And we've already started talking about this the last two weeks, that over time and over their lifetimes, David's faith and momentum was on the rise. 
And Saul's faith and momentum was on the slide. And so here we have a contrast, not just in physical stature, but in trust in God on display. Well, fast forward, spoiler people, David picked up five smooth stones from a stream. And by the way, just, can I just give you a little bit of uh, Bible college here? Some people, if you, if you ask the internet, you search about this, and it says five smooth stones, you'll, you'll see some people say, well, he obviously didn't have much faith if he needed to pick up five stones. If he had faith, he would have just picked up one stone. It's like God hadn't promised that he would defeat Goliath with a certain finite number of stones. He just said he'll defeat Goliath, all right? So here's the thing. Sometimes you might defeat your giant first pop. Sometimes you might only inflict a little bit of damage, just a flesh wound. Sometimes you might miss entirely with your first shot. But here's the thing. All right, God, let's give this another shot. And if it takes five, keep going. All right. So he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag, which, by the way, he didn't bring any of this to the fight. This is just like, he's carrying, like, it's like the, the tradies tool belt for a shepherd. And then armed only with a shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead and the stone, stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down to the ground. This is something of what David's sling would have looked like. Not very intimidating. Let's have a little uh, look at this. This is um, next one. Uh, kept, yeah, right. This is me during the week uh, <laughs> at local park, uh, just taking down magpies, actually. Um, and, no, but look at this sling. It does not look very intimidating. All right? So forget whether the boy's intimidating. He's now coming at Goliath with this thing. Like, really? I mean, I wonder if Goliath is struggling to run because he's laughing too hard. Like, at the guy and the weapon. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Bible's not clear. But this is the weapon he used successfully to take down Goliath. And, and, and I'm going to finish with it, just why this and pointing this out matters. Because just prior to this moment, two things were recorded. The first one's this. Saul, when Saul finally went, all right, you know, David's volunteering. Saul's like, all right, I mean, I'm not paying you, so I I got nothing to lose here. I'll give you a go. You can have a shot. No one else is stepping up. Saul gave David his own armour. Charles Barkley giving Simone Biles his NBA uniform. A bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped a sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like for he'd never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. And so David took them off again. But that was an option afforded to him. And it was considered by the captain of the armies and the king of the nation to be the, the sensible option. I mean, I'm not using them. <laughs> not today, anyway. How about you use them? I mean, I've used them before and I'm still here, so they obviously work. Well, that would have been a problem. Because we just read that David ran to Goliath. He would have fallen flat on his face two steps in if he'd gone into battle with Saul's armor instead of what 
God had used in his past victories to defeat giants in his past. And then this one, David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, spear, and javelin, which this is a question. Now he goes on to say, I come at you in the name of the, the Lord of Israel, which is good. That's the, kind of the big idea here. <laughs> but you say to Goliath, you come at me with a sword, spear, and javelin. And Goliath's like, uh, yeah. Like you and everyone else that I've killed previously. But if five foot David had gone at Goliath, with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, he wouldn't have gotten close enough. You know, bullies know this in school, okay? If you got bullied, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to bring back memories. But a taller bully, when you're having a fight with them, because they're taller, all they need to do is put their hand on your forehead and just stand there. And you can swing and swing and swing, and your fists come into here. And it's comical. So if David had to try to go at Goliath with close combat fighting, David would have lost. So what David did is he took what he'd been specifically equipped with. He didn't try to fight Goliath as Saul, and he didn't try to fight Goliath as Goliath. He went in to fight Goliath with what God had equipped him with. And this is my final thought, and it's very important for us to understand this, is one of the mistakes we can make when we go in to fight a giant is we can look at all the things we don't have as reasons that we're the underdog or, or consider ourselves the underdog. Well, if uh, I, I like to fight for my marriage, but it would be so much easier if I had their spouse because their spouse is so nice and my spouse is not. Um, <laughs> Oh, I'd like to fight for my job and career, but it'd be much easier if I worked in that company or had their job, and yet here I am. And and the list goes on, you know, looking at all the things we don't have, looking at all the things that if only. And, And God's like, right, here's the thing. Here's what you do have. It's your secret weapon. You've got me, and I'm going to take everything that you have, even if you think it's not enough, some days, and I'm going to empower it, and you and me, we, are going to tackle this giant together, and we are more than enough. We are the majority. We are not the underdogs in this any longer. The giant has now been rendered the underdog, and people shouldn't be surprised when you win (laughs) if they understand the power that I've brought coupled with what you bring to the table. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which premieres every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live and on demand immediately after. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and also download our Elevate Church AU app.